Thank you, Ms. Robin. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. All right. The music has stopped. As we find our way back to our seats, take your songbooks and turn to page 113. Page 113. Sing the first and last verse, page 113. prayer but praising everything is going to change when we get up there brother jimmy would you pray for our tithes and offerings Robin, take your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 tonight. Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> Last week, we began our study in the book of Nehemiah. We talked about the person of Nehemiah, who he was, where he came from. This greatly used man of God was, as we mentioned, he went from being someone who was ordinary to someone who was extraordinary. Greatly used of God, he was uh, someone who was, the, as we read here, a cupbearer. He was the one who drank before the king, so in case he was poisoned, he would, he would, he would croak first instead of the king. Common, common practice during those days is always he got family members, foes, military 
uh, people who were against him, and always they would they would try to poison the people in power. And of course, they had a hired or uh, cupbearer to do the job for them. He, he uh, of course, is a man of God who who realized his a great need. He'd heard from his brethren about a problem there in Jerusalem. They remember we've, we've, from our study in Ezra, about 50,000 50, people went back, and they went back in three different stages. Uh, they went back under uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel, and then under Ezra, then ultimately under Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah now is in this winter palace, winter stronghold in a place called Shushan, which is the, the, the backdrop from actually the book of Esther, which we'll study, Lord willing, next. But he was here and he, he, reserved, he received some, some sad news from his brethren that we see in verse 2, that Hanai, one of the brethren, came. He and certain the men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews what uh, that had escaped, which were left in the captivity concerning Jerusalem. In verse 3, they said unto me, the remnant that are left in the captivity, they're in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broke down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So that's the situation. We see the person, and we see the problem. The place, the, the temple was finished, but the gates thereof, the, the building, uh, the walls of much of Jerusalem was not finished yet. And so uh, uh, a place like that with no, with no walls, with no protection, was easy target for the enemies of God to come in and try to destroy it. So this was a, this was a dire situation. This was a, a horrible situation for, for them to be in. And he realized he needed to do something with it. So we see the person, we see the, the problem, but thirdly, we see the prayer, the prayer of this man of God. And we see it in verses 3 uh, all the way down to verse 11. Uh, it says, excuse me, verse 4. It came to pass that I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned, and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before, before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech thee. The Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant, mercy for them, that love him, observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer, prayer of my servant, which I pray before the, for thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Let's pray. Father, we... Again, we thank you for this time. I pray you bless the, the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of your word tonight. Oh, Lord, help us to gain some understanding, some knowledge, some spiritual truth from your wonderful word that will help us in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what did he do? He had a burden. He had a burden. What is a burden? Now, there's a difference between a burden and, and being bothered. I, I don't know about you, but I'm bothered by a lot of things. <laughs> I'm bothered about immigration in our country. How about you? I mean, we, we could preach a sermon on that, but I ain't. <laughs> we, we, I'm bothered by the leadership in our country. I preach a sermon on that, but I ain't. I, I'm, I'm bothered by our poor public schools in our, in, our, in, our, in our country, especially in our county. I could preach a sermon on that, but I ain't. But David, that's, that's something to be bothered about, and you could be you might, you might get burdened about that. But there's there's something that those things are temporal. Those things are those things aren't going to last forever, and it, you have to be careful that you don't fight a, a wrong war because things some things matter more than others. I'm not saying those, all those things matter, but what matters more is the eternal things. 
the eternal things. The most important things in the world to, to be burdened about are the souls of men and, and, the, and, and the word of God. Those are two things that are going to last forever. The politics is going to come and go. We're going to have good kings, bad kings. They had good kings and bad kings back then. You read the Bible. You read, you read I'm in Kings and Chronicles. You read, I read good kings, bad kings. I, ha, I read kings that had good sons and, and, and kings that had bad sons. And, and, everyone, and everything in between. So it's not the first time we've had bad leadership. It probably won't be the last. That's just, I'm focusing on those things, but focusing on the spiritual aspect of life. A, a godly burden is... Is, is, is an overwhelming concern with some aspect of human distress or sin. If we see somebody who's caught up in sin, who's, who's just struggling with sin or some type of spiritual distress, again, again, you can, you can, you can be humanitarian and help people with, you know, with uh, physical needs, and that's, that's good, but again, the, the spiritual need is more important than the physical need. Whenever someone comes to me and, and has in the past and said, hey, I have a physical need, I said, that's great. I, I, I understand. We, we need to pray for you. But, but what is the spiritual need that you have? Because spiritual needs are more important than temporal needs. Because, dear friend, every four or five hours, if you're a man, you're going to eat again. Right? You're going to need food. You, you're always going to need food. But there, there's a friend, there's a day coming where you won't need food anymore. And that will either be very good because you're in heaven or very bad because you're in hell. Jesus said, said to the disciples, I have meat that you know not of. What was that? To do the will of the Father. What was he saying in that? The spirituality, the spiritual meat is more important than the temporal meat. The meat comes and goes. You get hungry, you have a little, you have a lot. But ultimately what matters is where you're going to spend eternity. You know someone who has a, 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 a distress, a sin, a burden, is, is someone who's, when you have, when there's a burden, you see someone that you're concerned about who's going through difficulty and you try to help them in that situation. Not only is that, it, a, a godly burden is irresistible conviction that God has an available remedy. Not only do you see someone in distress, you recognize there's a remedy for that. There's, a, there's an answer for that. Wherever there's a spiritual problem, there is a spiritual answer. Now, a lot of times people are not ready to take that answer. <laughs> you, there might be an answer, but that person might not be able to take that answer. There's answers to every spiritual problem, but the problem is, are you willing to take the answer? It's like you go, you go into a doctor, and, doctors, and you say to the doctor, I got a, hey, I got a bad knee, and, and, and doctor says, well... How long you had a bad knee? And they said, been a long time. And they do an MRI on your knee. And Doc says, well, the only way to fix your, your bad knee is to do a knee replacement. He said, I don't want to do a knee replacement. Then you're going to have a bad knee the rest of your life. You may not take that. You might say, well, I'll just take, some more, I'll just take more Tylenol. You can take it. You can take what you want to take, but you're going to have a bad knee the rest of your life until you get something done with it. See, a lot of times people want to, people a lot of times come to me, they want advice, but they don't want to take the advice. <laughs> And they usually, when they come to me, it's like at their wit's end, they done tried everything else. Because the last thing they want to do is come to the preacher and say, I failed. Uh, what? Your marriage has failed? Your children's going to struggle? No, dear friend, you, what you should have done is come at the very beginning and said, because wi there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. 
There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Not when you get ready. Hey, you don't come to the folks and say, hey, preacher, I'm $100,000 in debt. I think I need help. No, you need help about $10,000 when you're in debt. Yeah. Oh, preacher, my, my son, he's a rebel. He's 18 years old. How about coming to when he was like 11 or 12 when he started showing his rebellion? Don't wait when it's too late. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an irresistible conviction that God is there's a available, there's available remedy. But thirdly, it's an unreserved certainty that God will use me to de- deliver the remedy. Not only do you see the distress, not only is there an avail- available remedy, God wants to use you to do something about it. When's the last time God gave you a burden about something and you're willing to do something about it? Unsaved family member. Someone going through a, a spiritual struggle and you knew about it. Now, you know, it's easy to say, be warm to be filled spiritually. But then, do something about it. To do something about that, it's going to cost you something. You see, Nehemiah had a burden about what was going on in, his, in Jerusalem. Even though he'd never been there, he never physically seen it, but it burned so much that he sat down and wept. When was the last time you sat down and wept for your child? Who's going to hell in a handbasket? When's the last time you what's time last when's the last time you you prayed for a, a loved one who's just living a sinful life? When's the last time you cried a, a tear about the nature of our country and the wickedness of our land? When's the last time you did that? Man, we, we man, I, that, that's some serious stuff. <laughs> That's, that's stuff to be burdened about. Not just, oh, my cat's sick. <laughs> well, God bless you about your cat. But, dear friends, we got more important things to cry about than people's cats. <laughs> we had well, a youth pastor, teenagers, for 14 years, and sometimes the kids would come in and say, would you pray for my Toto? He's sick. And I said, you know what? God bless you and your Toto. But we need to pray. We're praying for something that's a little more important than Toto. You know, we're praying for the souls of men and women, heaven and hell. Okay, let's focus on those things. I'm not saying they don't matter, but there's a, there's a, there's an important, a level of importance. So he got burdened over these things. What burdens you? What burdens you? A, the average Christian is burdened about nothing because it will cost him something. Man, it's going to cost me something. I mean, I have to travel all the way down to so-and-so to see that person and talk to him about Jesus. might cost me some gas money. Well, it might. might cost you some time to write a letter that you wept over to a sister or a friend that's living in sin. You know, dear friend, if you're a Christian, you see someone in sin, it's your obligation, your obligation, not the pastor, not the deacon, not some other spiritual leader. If you know that person, it's your obligation to go tell them. People come to me and say, preacher, go tell so-and-so. I say, no, don't tell so-and-so. How about you tell so-and-so? <laughs> That's your responsibility. It ain't just the preacher or the deacon or the leader in the church. Dear friend, if it's, if, it's, if it's somebody close to you, you need to go. Well, man, if I tell them, they might get mad at me. Would it, which is worse, they get mad at you or they go to hell? Which, which is worse? Do you, want to just, you, don't, you just want to see them continue down the path of destruction? Or do you want to weep over their soul and go plead with them not to get saved? Yeah, they get mad at you. But it ain't the first time they got mad at you, and it probably won't be the last time they got mad at you. So just go ahead and tell them the truth. Tell them the truth, man. 
A lot of folks are afraid to tell my friend. Well, man, if I tell my daughter the truth, she might not be my friend no more. Are you a parent or are you a friend? It's time we need, we need more parents. They got thousands of friends on social media. Just look it up. We need some parents who have the holy boldness to tell their kids, to tell their loved ones, to tell their kids, hey, if you continue down this path, you're going to, go, you're going to, burn, you're going to burn in hell forever. You're going, to, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to kill. You're going to be. You're going to be. It's, it's going to be horrible. Nehemiah had a burden. It's going to cost him everything. That's why we see in verse five. He says, "Oh, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth the covenant of mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments." What's he doing? He's beseeching heaven. He's going before God. Before any man can walk the path of restorer or rebuilder, he must first travel the path of prayer. It all begins with prayer. Before you do anything, before you do anything, stop and pray about it. Before you call Miss Sally across the room, before you get on social media, before you, before you text anybody, the first thing you do when you, when you have a burden about something is you begin to pray about it. How do we, how, what is this path of prayer? What is this path of prayer? You see, he, start, he, he, saw, he, he recognized who he was, evaluated his situation. He saw the problem, what, what it was, and now he realized he needs to do something about it. And the way he's going to do something about it, he's begin to pray God and beseech God. You see, he was going to do something publicly, before he did something publicly, he had, to, he had to be right and beseech God privately. You see, friends, if we're, not, if we're not right with God and praying privately, we're not going to be able to do anything effectively God publicly. It, has to be, it, starts, with, it starts with private prayer and getting with God. And how does that, how does that do that? First, what's the first step in that? The first step and the first step on this path of prayer is realizing the, the clear priority of God's sovereignty. He says, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God. He's going before God, and he's, and he's recognized that God's in control. So prayer is not, if it's not us having our way with God, it's God having his way with us. Prayer is not manipulating God. It's not controlling him. It's not, it's not, it's not pressuring God or making God do something. No, God... God's in, God's in control. God's in charge. We're not. The great, great uh, Donald Barnhouse went to a congregation uh, sermon talking about prayer. And he's, he made the statement, prayer changes nothing. And everybody was shocked that he, that he said that, made that statement. Obviously, he knows God, that prayer does change. But what he was saying, he was emphasizing the fact that God is sovereign, that his will is going to be done. His kingdom come, his will be done. You say, does that mean I shouldn't pray? No, the Bible says we should pray. The, 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 we know the Bible says from the book of James that uh, the, the prayer of the righteous availeth much. It, 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 we should pray. But what does, what does prayer do? Prayer, what it does, it changes us. It changes us. That's why, it's, that's why one of the... the the greatest weapons we have, but it's the least used weapon that we have, is prayer. Because the devil, if he can get you from stop praying, he's got you beat. If he got you worrying, if he's got you on Facebook 20 hours a night, 
looking at people's, you know, little pictures, spending all your day on social media. If, if he got you, you know, knitting, knitting a little something for your friend or, or, or even going to give food to somebody who's in need. If he got you giving to charity, you can do all those good things. All those, I'm not saying they're all bad, but dear friend, none of that should replace prayer. Prayer is essential as you as is to breathe. If you're not praying, you're not living for God. Just put it down. Prayerlessness is powerless. Is powerlessness. And when you have no power, you are an easy, easy target. You're just, hey, you're just, you're just, a, you're just, a, just a time for the, for the devil to destroy you. Because that's the communication. God's word is, 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 is him speaking to me. But prayer is you speaking to God. And when you don't have that type of communication, it's, gonna, it's, it's just a matter of time before you're going to fail. Whenever I talk to somebody about problems in their life, two of the first things I ask them, when's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you spent time with prayer? And 90% of the time they tell me, I'm not doing either one. So no wonder you're having marriage problems. No, long, no wonder you can't get along with your wife. No wonder you can't get with your husband. No longer you're a rebel in school. No, longer, no wonder you're struggling at your work. No wonder you're having problems with sin. Because, dear friend, if you're not, if communication is the key to every relationship. And if you're not communicating, you are not going to be successful. You can't be successful. It's impossible. It's impossible. So first he recognized his, the sovereignty of God. It goes back to what Jesus said in his prayer. Oh, Father, oh God, you know, our Father who art in heaven. He's, he recognizes his position. Where the heavens, the heaven is that, that, uh, is that place above that we've been singing a lot about on, sun, on, sun, on Wednesday nights. It's that place that we, we talked about when we all get to heaven. The Bible talks about it in Psalm chapter 99, verse 1. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. One pastor talked about God from the book of Job. He said that this is the living God. We're talking about his sovereignty. Who told Job that his, he thundered with his voice. He wore the clothing of dignity and eminence, honor and majesty. He commanded the morning and made the dawn to know its place. He laid the foundations of the earth and created its measurements. He entered the currents of the sea and walked the, uh, walked the recesses of the deep ocean. This sovereign God who knows where the light lives and the way of the east wind he is the one that's created the purposes of the floods and thunderbolts, ice and hail. He leads forth the constellations. He determines the orbits and planets. He counts the clouds and the tips of the water jars in heaven. He's created the animal with their instinct. He has spread the heavens like a mirror. And he's exalted in power, surrounded by majesty. Wow. What a God. Our mind cannot grasp God. And, and naturally, it should be so. Could the creation understand the creator? No, no way possible. Praying this God is not a genie that you, you know, God is not a genie. You rub a, a, a vase three times and get, and get a couple of wishes. No, he's not, he's not someone that, like you, you put a quarter in a gumball machine and you, you, you get some candy out. He's, he's, no, it's not, it's not something like that. You're talking about a sovereign, holy, wonderful, majestic God. Oh, that we would have the awe of God like Isaiah. He saw him in a time of trouble when Uzziah died. Isaiah chapter 6, he saw him high and lifted up. What's your view of God? Your view of God determines everything about you. If you have a little God, then you have, you'll, be, you'll pray like there's a, he's a little God. If you have a big God, you'll pray like God can actually do something. 
I think that's the reason why we don't pray more, because we don't believe actually that God will answer our prayer. Or we don't pray long enough, because we don't believe that if we pray a little, he can answer a lot. J.I. Packer wrote about Nehemiah. He had grasped the greatness of God in his book, A Passion for Faithfulness. This kind of perspective of God, how great he is, is makes God help us realize that God is the owner, the ruler of our life. When we have this kind of view of God, that he is holy, that he's righteous, that he's majestic, it can, it can only bring us to the place where we start to realize how small we are. When we see how great he is and how wonderful he is and how majestic he is and how powerful he is and what he has done for us, it, we can't help but look at our own selves and say, how different I am from God. And, be, and it, it, it encourages us, it behooves us to confess our sin. And that's the second, second step. Not only the, the priority of, of his sovereignty, but second step is the contrite acknowledgement of, his, of sin. We come to the place we recognize our own sin. And that's what, that's what a, a view of God brings to us. The fact that we, we, we are not him. We, we, we're so much different and we're sinful beings. And that's exactly what Jer, I mean, Nehemiah did. He says here, he begins to pray to him. Then look at verse Verse 7, verse, excuse me, verse 6. Let thou, thine my ear now be attentive, thy eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which they have sinned. Is that what it says? No, it says, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Lord of hosts. You know what the biggest struggle in our, in our life is? We don't, we're not willing to admit our own sins. We love, we love, well, you know it's the government's fault. Well, you know it's my dad's fault. Well, you know it's my wife's fault. Well, you know it's my husband's fault. People don't, people don't want to take... People don't want to say, don't want to take responsibility for their actions, do they? They got to scapegoat it. Oh man, those folks in Jerusalem, man, if old Zebarubble and Joshua would have been better, they wouldn't have had them walls like that. Nope. If Ezra had been more spiritual, then walls wouldn't have been like that. No, nope. he didn't pray those things. Mm-mm. No. I have this book called The Nehemiah Code by O. S. Hawkins. This is what he said about this. This is what he said about this. He said, he said, Nehemiah could approach the process of rebuilding Jerusalem by pointing the finger of accusation at those who are responsible for the current dilemma. If Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem, burned it, and had taken the captives into Babylon, the Jews would not have laid the siege, or wouldn't have had the huge task of rebuilding them. Perhaps if Israel had been more zealous about the task of rebuilding years ago, then the remnant began to return from exile. Things would have been different. Nehemiah had a lot of people with their past mistakes and difficulties. He could have blamed them all for current problems. He could have placed blame on Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, and other kings of Judah. They betrayed the people and their heritage by turning away from God, resorting to the devastation of their people, their temple, and their city. But Nehemiah was wise enough to know that, there was of those, that those who play the blame game never get the task of rebuilding complete. 
He refused to direct blame to others. Instead, stepped up and take personal responsibility for himself. Wow. He said a mouthful right there. Do you take personal responsibility for your failures? And the failures of others? Whoa. You know what we, could, we should say? What's wrong in the United States of America? You say, what's the government's fault? You know whose fault it is? Us. The failure of the United States of America is not the people in the White House, folks. It's us. We have sinned. We've sinned. It's us. It's people. It's, it's us. It's the church house. We've sinned. We've failed. Because we, without strong marriages, without strong churches, without strong families, oh, dear friend, we can't have a strong nation. Mm, it's all, it's all, it goes back to us. He didn't play the game, the blame game. No, I and my fathers have sinned. Maybe for the first time, Nehemiah was struck with the fact that he wasn't supposed to be in Sushan. He was now supposed to be in, in Jerusalem, and he decides to do something about that. And interesting enough, he begins using this covenant name of God, Yahweh, the covenant with Yahweh that he had that goes back to, way back to even to, to Abraham. It's a relationship. And he realized there's something been broken in this relationship, and it needs to be repaired. That's why he said, both I and my father's house have sinned. You want God's attention? You got distress? You got burdens? You got, you got people in your life that are struggling in a, in, a, in, a, in a great way? You know the way to get God's ear is start not confessing their sins, but confessing your sins. You want to get the ear of God? Confess your sins. It's easy to blame other people, isn't it? Oh, those folks. No. I've sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, without commands to serve. We are guilty of corruption, disobedience, breaking the law. Did he leave everything out? What's he, what's, what is this all about? It's about a person that's broken over his nation and the destruction of his people. And that's what God wants to see. The brokenness. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou would not despise. That's what God is wanting. He wants us to be broken over the sins of our people, over the sins of your family, over the sins of people who are, who are failing. He wants us to be broken. And when we're broken, we realize that we are in need. We are, we're willing to cry out, we're willing to confess our sins because the Bible says if we're faithful and just to forgive it, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we see a mighty, holy, wonderful God who's sovereign? Do we recognize who he is? Do we see, do we see the, the needs of people around us with, with all types of burdens and struggles that they have? And we go to that great God and ask him with humbleness, not talking about their sin, but first confessing our sin. Because if we're going to help them, we must recognize that we're first wrong ourselves. It's us who's in the need of prayer. I read about a, a hot dog company called the Kosher Hot Dog Company. I don't know if you've heard of them. They are the Hebrew National, they, they call the Hebrew National Hot Dog Company. They said because of their, obviously, they're given, you know, 
hot dogs to the Jewish folks. They have to, they have to keep strict biblical dietary laws and only use certain cuts of kosher beef. It says in their advertisement, they, eat, they, they meet the highest standards of quality. For 95 years, they write, our commitment to manufacturing products of only the highest quality means that artificial byproducts are simply not allowed. They stand for quality and goodness. That's why they believe their hot dogs are superior. They have this motto that they are the best hot dogs in the world. Huh. Isn't that great? But imagine a company so convinced that they are the answer to, that they have to answer to a higher authority. You realize, folks, that one of these days we're going to answer to a higher authority? People sometimes think that they're going to just go to heaven, and heaven, everything is just going to be, you know, there's no, there's just, okay, we just go there and everything perfect, everything will be great. Well, yes, there's that aspect of heaven, but dear friend, don't you realize the Bible says that each one of us are going to give an account for the things done in our body be good or evil? There's going to be an accounting of your life, not for your sins, we don't, we don't, not for our sins, but whether we want to receive any type of reward in heaven for the, for the things we've done in this life, there's an account. On that accounting day, what will we stand? When we could have and should have had a burden to help people in our life and we didn't do it. When we see souls that need to be saved and we didn't say anything. When we have family members on their way to destruction and we didn't do anything. Dear friend, there's going to be an accounting for that. I think that's why one of the reasons the Bible says they're going to wipe, he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. Part of that is because he's going to need to. He's going to need to. Where are we at? We recognize God's authority when we see in that great burden and then after we recognize his authority, we humble ourselves, confess our sins, and begin to help others who have great needs in their life. Oh, Father, I pray, God, that you'd help us, Lord Jesus, to have a godly burden, not just go through this life nonchalant, not caring. There's people all around us who have great spiritual needs. It's easy just to pass them by in our busyness of life. We have a schedule. We have things we have to do. Oh, dear friend, there's people dying and going to a real hell and so many people don't even care oh God give us a burden give us a heart give us a, a passion for people who are on their path to destruction and the people who are spiritually bankrupt oh God help us to intervene from them help us to say something to them whatever the cost it was the cost of a friendship it was the cost of at cost of whatever it may be, help us to be willing to speak the truth. But yes, speak it in love, but speak the truth nonetheless. Oh God, use us. Use us, oh Lord. There's people all around, all around us. Help us, Lord. Give us a burden for those folks. Help us to truly see them in their need, their spiritual need, and help us to do something about it. With head bowed and eyes closed, I hope the night that you know Christ is your Savior, because that is the greatest need. The greatest need anyone can have is knowing Jesus Christ. And I hope you know him. If you don't, you're not sure of that, you've been doubting, I'd love to talk to you. My wife would love to talk to you. But maybe this evening God has placed someone on your heart. Even I was, even I was talking about this, this thing called burden. Maybe it's a son or daughter. 
Maybe it's a sister, an uncle, an aunt, a friend you used to go to school with. Somebody that's come across your mind recently that you're burdened for. You see them, you see them going down a wrong way. You see them, you, you see them following a, a, a path that, 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 a path of destruction. You say, I need, I need to be that person who speaks to them. I, God has burdened me to do something about this. Would you pray for me, preacher, that, that I will take, have the courage and the boldness and to do this soon? Would you pray for me that I would do this? Anybody like that tonight? I have a burden for somebody. Amen. I need to, I, amen. Amen. God's burdened me about someone. Someone that you know not saved. Someone maybe living right next to you. Someone you see every week at the store. Someone living in your own house. Someone that you know is struggling right now. Is God giving you that burden? Oh, as the piano plays, let's stand to our feet. God's spoken to you about that. Dear friend, you'd like to come to this old altar and ask God for help. The altar's open this evening. Would you come? You need to talk to him. You can't do this on your own. It's impossible. You got to go to God. You and God make a majority. Would you be willing to come and say, Lord, I need to talk to this person. I need, I need help. I recognize that you are God, that you are Lord. And I humble myself and I admit my own sin. There's someone, some situation. I'm begging God. I'm beseeching God. I'm praying for help tonight. Would you come? Have you wept? Have you mourned? Have you cried? Have you begged? Have you pleaded? What do you need to do? Not, not next week. Not next month. Not next year. Oh, friend. Do it today. Do it tonight if you can do it tonight. Do it tomorrow. Do it soon. God has placed this burden on your heart. Go before God and ask Him for help. God, we just thank you for hearing our prayer. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. When we get caught up in this old world and the things of this world, our schedules, things that really, in a million years from now, really don't matter. But God, help us to be burdened for people 
people that are struggling with sin. They're lost in the darkness. They don't even see. They can't see. They've been blinded by, by the, the sin in their life. Oh, God, help us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't focus on you and we don't see people. We don't love them enough. I pray for everyone in this room who has a burden for, for someone in their life that, that they're praying for tonight, for those especially who came forward in the invitation. I pray, God, you'd meet their need. I pray that you would give them holy boldness. I pray that, God, you'd give them perfect timing. Give them the words to say, the right words, the right time, the right place. Oh, God, go before them even now and lay the groundwork as they have this opportunity to speak to that one who's in great peril. Oh, God, help us to see the lost. Help us to see the ones around us who are struggling. Give us that burden, Lord, to do whatever we can. No matter what it costs us, Lord, help us to do what we can to help people before it's too late. Lord, we can only do this with your help. So we ask for that supernatural help. We know, God, you will answer your, this prayer according to your perfect will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.